Well, thanks so much for joining us on our weekly sermon podcast. We pray that this message inspires you, builds your faith, and gives you perspective to see that God is moving in your life. Thanks so much for joining us again, and God bless. God is good. Jesus is real. His word is alive. I am His. Amen? Amen. So I don't know if you noticed this, but right down the street from us on Butte House Road, there's a giant temple going up. Anybody notice that? All in the name of a cult. The Latter-day Saints pride themselves in immaculate temples. This thing is beautiful. If you've seen it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. They have done such a good job at building this. Uh, But here's the thing. It's not being done in Jesus' name. It's all in the name of works, and you wonder why their temple looks so beautiful. See, the church of Jesus Christ was never called to build bigger buildings. Uh, Through the book of Acts, we see time and time again that the church was more so called to home groups, uh, church in the house, and then we see these immaculate buildings take up place and shape and all that type of stuff. And it takes our focus off of why we're really supposed to be doing this thing called church. It's not about coming to the building. It's not about coming to get your cup of coffee. It's not about coming to get a granola bar or whatever we have back there. It's not about that, although it's nice. It's nice to be in an air-conditioned room when it's blazing hot out and all that stuff. That's great. But I believe so many times when our minds uh, lead us that way, we ultimately miss the point of why we're even doing church. Uh, Now, when I say doing church, I'm not talking about being the church. There's two different things right there. Uh, We, you and I, the people are the church. Uh, When I say doing church, I mean this. So, like I mentioned, the church was never called to build bigger buildings. It was never called to create show-stopping productions where there were thousands of lights blinding you in the face and fog machines right under your seat and ice cream falling from the sky. The church was not called to do that. The church is a group of people who are devoted to following Jesus as their Lord and Savior. But not just individually. See, there is no such thing as a lone ranger Christian. It's an oxymoron. You can't do this Christian life on your own. And if you've been in that place where you think you can, you are deceiving yourself. You are fooling yourself. You cannot be a Christian and do this walk with Jesus on your own. It won't work. And don't tell me that you can just go hang out with the trees and that's your community right there. doesn't work. Nature is great, but this is better. Amen? I mean, we've been asking and begging our government, some churches, to let us open the doors. Why we even closed them in the first place, I have no idea. But listen, this is what we want to do. This is what we are called to do. We are called to meet together and worship Jesus. Amen? That's why we're here. See, the book of Acts is ultimately uh, the beginning of the church on its mission. Right? Uh, We see in Matthew in the closing chapters that Jesus says to to go out into all the world and make disciples. uh, To baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Right? 
So the book of Acts is a, is a continuation of this call that Jesus has given his disciples. His disciples were supposed to make disciples, and those disciples were supposed to make disciples, and those disciples, guess what? We're supposed to make disciples. And guess what those disciples were supposed to do? Make more disciples. And look, you're here. Now guess what you're supposed to do? How'd you know? <laughs> See, Jesus had just promised the apostles uh, the coming of the Holy Spirit. That if they would tarry in Jerusalem, if they would wait in Jerusalem, they were promised that the Holy Spirit would come upon them. In Acts chapter 1, verse 4, Jesus, before He ascends to the Father, He says, talking to the apostles, He says, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. But He says, wait. You've got to hang out in Jerusalem. You have to wait there because this is where the Spirit is going to land upon you. The apostles were the ones Jesus told that it was better that if He went away. Which is kind of crazy to think because they were following Jesus and then all of a sudden He tells them, I'm out. That would disappoint a lot of us. We had just gotten to know this guy. We had seen all the miracles He did. But wait, there's more. Jesus says that it's better if I go away. Because if I don't go away, you won't have the Helper. You won't receive the Holy Spirit. Why would they need the Helper? Why, why did they need the Holy Spirit? Because they were about to embark on one epic adventure of making disciples. Of preaching the Gospel of Jesus to, at that time, a very hostile world. I mean, after all, they killed Jesus. They murdered Jesus. And Jesus says they don't hate you. They hate me. See, they were called to be the church. But I can tell you this. The church cannot live up to its calling without the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The church cannot be the church without the Holy Spirit. The church needs the Holy Spirit. We, you and I, need the Holy Spirit. We cannot function properly without Him reigning over the church. And without the unleashing of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit cannot do what He wants to do. And I can tell you this, what He wants to do is far beyond what we might imagine. Uh, it's crazy what He has in store. Now, Peter, right, was notorious for wanting to take matters into his own hands. Remember when they were in the garden, uh, Peter's got his sword in his sheath, and he says, well, why don't we just get him now, Lord? And he goes up to the, 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 the security guard, if you will, Malchus, and what does he do? He chops off his ear. I was telling my five-year-old, six-year-old now, he would slap me if I said five. Um, I was telling, telling him this story the other day, and he goes, Dad, how did he do that? Did he just stick it back on his ear? Like, how? I don't know. I don't know. We'll, we'll play the replay when we get to heaven. Uh, but listen, Peter, Peter was notorious for wanting to take matters into his own hands. Yet Jesus always reminded him, in a loose paraphrase kind of way, you cannot be an effective disciple if you are going to let your flesh take control. And so Peter, this bold, eager, uh, zealous, on fire for the Lord, willing to do anything for Jesus, he, he, we meet him at the day of Pentecost, 50 days after Jesus ascends, right? And Peter, in boldness, stands up and gives one of his best messages, one of his greatest sermons of all time. But the, before that, the apostles, see, like I mentioned, you can't 
be the church without the rule and reign of the Spirit. And so the apostles, in one place, they, uh, it says in Acts chapter 2, verses 2-4, through four, it says, Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This was the birth of the New Testament church. When the Holy Spirit came upon the church, this was the starting point of the church on its mission. And as the Holy Spirit came and dwelt among the believers, the believers in Jesus would become known as the, in Greek, the ekklesia, the called out ones. The church, uh, the ones who aren't supposed to stay within the walls and be comfortable, but to go out and to, to preach the gospel, to preach the good news. And so the Holy Spirit comes upon the believers and Peter with boldness speaks up. And for his entire message, uh, your homework is to go read all of chapter 2 and report back to me next week. But his main message of, his main, his main point in the message is Acts 2 verse 36. It says, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ this Jesus whom you crucified. So basically the main point of Peter's message was not an idea, but it was a person. And it was Jesus. Peter is saying, it's Jesus that I'm trying to show you. It's Jesus that you crucified. It's Him that I'm pointing you to through Him going back to the Old Testament and talking about Moses and Abraham. He's saying, ultimately, that's great, but that's not my main point. My main point is that Jesus died for you. And it's the same for us today, that Jesus died for us. Peter's message is still relevant to us today. And here Peter preaches with boldness. And the crowd that was around him asks Peter this question. What shall we do? What next? What are the next steps? They, they were cut to the heart, Scripture says. They wanted to know what was next. And Peter's response is this in Acts chapter 2, verse 37 through 39. I love how he starts out. He says, Repent! <laughs> Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now listen to this. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to Himself. Did you catch that? All who are far off. Are there any Jewish people in here this morning? Any Gentiles? If you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. We're all Gentiles. And he was talking to a group of Jewish people at the time. And, and Peter says, but it's not just for the Jews. Salvation is not just for the Jews, it's for the Gentiles. Praise the Lord, right? Jesus died for us Gentiles. And the response of those listening, uh, listen to Acts 2, verse 41. It says, so those who received his word. They caught His Word. They understood what He was saying. They, 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 they believed it by faith. Those who received His Word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. 
3,000 souls. The Spirit was at work. The Spirit was doing inside of the church what only the Spirit could do inside of the church. Saving people. I think so many times when it comes to us uh, talking to maybe an unbelieving family or maybe it's a coworker or a friend or you fill in the blank, uh, oftentimes we act like little Holy Spirits. Uh, we, we, we want them to be believers so bad and we start taking the place of the Holy Spirit and, and, and sometimes we, we just go to extreme lengths that not even the Holy Spirit would go to. Uh, we're aggressive, we're, we're not very tactful, we're not very considerate, kind or caring. It's just, be saved right now. I'm sure you know somebody like that. But these believers, these new converts received His Word because of the Spirit working through Peter. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Romans 10.17 These people put their faith and trust in Jesus because they heard the Word of God. They heard the Word of God preached. But here's the thing uh, that we see is pretty evident. is The apostles did exactly what Jesus told them to do. Which was to go and make what? Disciples. Disciples make disciples. If you are a disciple, which I hope you are this morning, your job, your mission is to go make disciples. And from there, like I said, those disciples go and make disciples. It's a ripple effect, and it's been going on for a thousand, a thousand years, 2,000 years since Jesus died on the cross for us. Disciples have been making disciples. Now, with 3,000 people choosing to follow Jesus, that's a lot of people. Uh, that, that, that's, that's a New Testament harvest crusade. Uh, that's a New Testament uh, uh, revival, if you will, where people just are excited about following the Lord. And that's something that we need to be praying for our own community, is that people would be excited not just to come to church, but to know Jesus. That's the whole point of church, is to know Jesus. And the disciples, the apostles, they could have become completely overwhelmed at this mass group of people. Now these baby Christians, given their lives, have given their lives to Jesus. Now what do we do? There are 3,000 souls that have been saved. What do we do? Well, I believe in the verses before us, they showed the new believers exactly what to do. Uh, See, they pointed people uh, not to a 12-step program, not to this, that, or the other. They pointed people to the fundamentals of Christianity, of what it means to follow Jesus. In Acts 2.42-47, through we see a glimpse of what the church, uh, what you and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord has been called to do. See, conversion is one thing. Right? When we see people come to Christ, uh, the Bible says there's rejoicing in heaven right? over one sinner that repents. That's awesome. And, and we pray for that and we want that. Uh, people converting from their old ways, realizing that there's new life in Christ. That's our prayer, right? That's our desire is to see people saved. But then what? Do we just forget about them? Do we just let them go off on their way? 
I remember when I had first given my life to Christ, we were at, at a church and they had the counselors in the back, but there were so many people that gave their life to Christ that night that we got forgotten about. If we didn't know what to do, to do next. We were clueless. But eventually we, we figured it out. <laughs> but see, conversion is one thing. Disciple making is another thing. Just in case you're wondering what our topic is for this morning, it's the church. Um, but what happens next in the new convert's life is crucial. Okay, And as we look at these verses, we look at what uh, God has called every church, uh, how, what God has called every church uh, to be and how to operate. So in verse 42 of chapter 2, it says, And they... I underline that, circle that, highlight that word, they. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayers. Listen, the church is not about me. It's about we. It's not about one individual person in this room. It's not about the pastor. It's not about the worship leaders. It is all about we. That's what makes up the church. It's not the pastor that makes up the church. It is all the people who call upon the name of the Lord. Now, do you notice anything in this verse? It says, and they, why I had you circle they or highlight they, is, is because it's about they. It's about these new disciples. It's about these new converts coming, coming into this walk uh, with, uh, with their Lord. See, it was a group of people devoting themselves to the fundamental elements of the church. So the question is, what are the fundamental elements of the church? What should we be practicing? What should we be adhering to? Well, it's right here. Another translation says that they continued steadfastly. Uh, they made it their aim, their goal, to continue to do these things. These core fundamentals were running through the veins of these new believers. So what were they? The first one, as we see in verse 42, uh, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The apostles' teaching. Now, this was not a creative new teaching that these disciples thought, well, if we just put a spin on some words and we you know, make it sound really fluffy and you know, we, we add some of this and a little bit of that to it, we'll get like 3,000 that day. There was nothing creative on their end. It was the words that Jesus had spoken to these disciples that ultimately these disciples spoke to these people. And so anytime we share our faith, uh, it's not our words that we're sharing. It may be your story, yes, of what God has done in your life, but ultimately, it is the words of Christ that have the impact on people's hearts and minds. See, this is what the apostles had learned from Jesus as Jesus was ministering to, to, the, to the groups and even just ministering to the disciples. The Sermon on the Mount was straight to the disciples. And so the disciples, remembering all these things, they passed the word off to these new converts. But ultimately, the apostles found hope, wisdom, peace, all in the words that Jesus had said. It wasn't in their words. It was in Jesus' words. Now, there are a lot of churches today that will pick and choose what to teach. Uh, we've said it here before, but when God says something 
uh, in his word, we're going to teach that here. Uh, we're not going to shy away from the, the hard topics or the hot topics, just like we went through our series. We're not going to shy away from these things. We're not going to pick and choose what to preach. Uh, we're going to preach what God's word says. Now, these guys, I don't think they were too worried about offending anybody. Uh, they had just seen what Jesus went through, and the biggest offense to them was that they had just killed their Lord and Savior. And I don't think they were too worried about offending anybody because why? They were filled with the Holy Spirit. They knew that as they spoke the words of God, that the Holy Spirit would just do what the Holy Spirit wanted to do through them. So the early church, they were a learning church. Uh, they made it a daily habit to get into the Word. And as they got into the Word, the Word seeped into them. It changed the way they viewed life. Here's the thing. Whenever you're looking for a church, if God leads you to another city, if He calls you to go somewhere else, uh, here's the thing. And some, some people have asked me this. What do we look for in a church? First and foremost, is you want to look for the church that puts Jesus above everything else. The second thing is you want to look for a church that is not just a Bible-believing church, because there are a lot of Bible-believing churches, but you want to look for a church that is a Bible-living church. Not just Bible-believing. The demons believe, it says, and they tremble. They don't live out the Word of God. And that's what we aspire to be here, is a Bible-living church. Yes, we believe in the Bible. Uh, the Bible is, 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 is foundational. It's where we meet Jesus. But if we just read it and didn't, didn't act on it, what good would preaching even do? If we don't live it out, there's a great danger in just believing the Bible. See, God didn't give us His Word so we could consider applying His Word to our lives. This sounds really good. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll consider it. Maybe, maybe, maybe I'll apply that to my life. We'll see how it goes. I'll give it a few weeks. And if it doesn't work out too well, maybe I'll just, you know, it just didn't work for me. Listen, God's Word is not something you just try, like you're trying on a pair of shoes. Uh, God's word is much more than that. It is the, uh, the guide to our life. Uh, you have questions, the Bible has answers. So, like I mentioned, there's a danger in just believing the Bible and not living it out. And many of us, we get in this habit of when we open the word of God, we've got our list of religious duties right here. First one. Read my Bible today. Now, if we just wanted you to come here just to read your Bible, just to believe your Bible, we would be doing you a great disservice. Because that's not what God's Word calls us to do. God's Word calls us to act upon His Word, to do His Word. And if that is our aim of just putting a check next to read my Bible today, we are a works-based church. If that is our only desire, just so we can put a nice little check up there, it's a work. See, 
Because we are followers of Jesus, we should have a hunger and thirst for His Word, just like the early church did. We should desire to get into His Word because we know that when we apply His Word to our lives and not just try it for three weeks, we know that our life begins to change. We know that our church begins to change. See, we open God's Word because we believe in devoting ourselves to the Word of God. Why? Because God's Word is exalted. It is lifted high above all things. Psalm 138, verse 2, it says, You have exalted above all things your name and your word. The next thing they devoted themselves to was to fellowship. I remember listening to this uh, preacher as a custodian. He would go on these long-winded, almost these just fired up type messages and but then he'd have these moments where he just completely got off track and he had this uh, phrase in his back pocket so to speak that every time he forgot what he was going to say he would pull it out and he he would say you know what fellowship is he would say it's two fellas in a ship (laughs) but if you think about it it's accurate they're going in the same direction they're they're rowing at the same pace hopefully In other words, fellowship is togetherness. Fellowship, by definition, is friendly association, especially with people who share one's interests. Now, you and I may be completely different in a lot of areas. But if our common bond is Jesus, we're doing all right. That's unity. is when we can put aside our disagreements... And when we can just focus on Jesus. You may disagree with me when it comes to the Clippers being better than the Lakers and the Kings. Sorry, Cliff. You may disagree with me when it comes to the necessity of the Oreo cookie diet versus the keto diet. You may disagree with me when it comes to the stance on pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib, whatever trib. You may disagree with me on... Uh, the stance of how a church is governed, whether it's elder-led or whether it's church-led. Yet, if you and I can agree on this one thing, that Jesus is Lord of Lord, Lords and King of Kings, this outweighs that which we disagree upon. And if we can come together on the basis of the person, Jesus, we can enter into fellowship one, with one another. Acts, or excuse me, Galatians 2.9, it says, And when James and Cephas and John, uh, Paul speaking, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Listen to this. In practice, extending the right hand of fellowship is the equivalent of shaking someone's hand or grasping their forearm to signify an agreement a bond of trust, or to establish a new partnership. It is, welcome, it is a welcoming gesture. The right hand of fellowship is a visual sign of a welcome into fellowship and community. For Paul and Barnabas, being given the right hand of fellowship was a signifier of their acceptance into the more established group of disciples who were already preaching the gospel. As new believers come into their walk with the Lord, our job is not to say, oh, because you've done this in your past, I don't know if I can fellowship with you. No, because of what they have been forgiven of in their past and because they have put their faith in Jesus, we can fellowship with them. See, Christian fellowship is based on the truth that, that is in Christ. 
that we are united because of who Jesus is and what he did. Now, let me ask you a question. How often do churches divide or split over such minor things like choosing a vacuum? You think I'm kidding? Or how hot the baptism water needs to be? Or how cold the baptism water needs to be? Or choir robes? Or the way the grass is cut? you got to go at a certain angle. Or who cuts the grass? You don't do as good of a job as I do, so I'm out. It's grass. Or what about major things that can be resolved? Such as pride. Such as power groups. Such as being told uh, to stay silent on heavy topics. Or church government. Or financial agreements. How often do churches split because of such petty little things? Listen, fellowship amongst believers requires us to agree to disagree on the minors. Yet on the majors, the pillars of our faith, listen, we need to decide on unity. There is too much disunity in our world today. And the thing that pleases God's heart, which we see in Scripture, is how Pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. So the apostles' teaching, fellowship. Uh, the third is they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. Now, this is a direct reference to the Lord's Supper, I believe. They came together and celebrated what Jesus had done for them. They made it a habit. They, they continued steadfastly with celebrating that Jesus died for their sins. That's why we have communion every week. As often as you drink, uh, eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till He comes. It is a celebration. We celebrate every Sunday. Our Kent Hughes says this, Christ and His atoning work were constantly before them, daily bringing their hearts upward in solemn and joyous contemplation. So the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and the prayers. The early church, as should the modern day church be as well, was devoted to praying. A church, listen, that is constantly in prayer is a black eye to the devil. Paul David Tripp says this about prayer. He says, prayer is an act of worship. Did you know that? Prayer is an act of worship. Prayer is an act of submission. Prayer is an act of obedience. But prayer is also an act of admission. Every instance of prayer is a confession in which I own my condition and embrace my need. In prayer, I confess once again that I won't ever be what I'm supposed to and do what I'm supposed to do without the forgiving, empowering, and delivering grace of the One to whom I am praying. Prayer decimates my independent self-surety. It puts my utter dependency before my eyes and calls me to cry out for the help that I am so often tempted to deny I need. That's a good definition of prayer. See, this is why we have Friday nights where after we, we spend time in the Word and worship, this is why we have prayer. Because if the early church was devoted to praying, how much more should we be devoted to praying? So if you haven't been to a Friday night to come pray with us, a little plug right there, you should come out and join us. See, we're not a church, listen, that is looking to add more things to people's already busy schedule. 
We're not looking to uh, figure... Oh, there I am. Where's that other mic just in case? What did I do with it? Okay, it's fine. Okay. They're trying to get me to finish sooner than later. Oh, I see why. Okay. All right. Uh, So prayer. All right. So apostles teaching, uh, fellowship, breaking of bread, prayer. And then after they've done those, listen to what happens next. In verses 43 through 44, And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Listen, the reason why the church was in awe was because they let the Spirit in. They let the Holy Spirit do what He wanted to do. A Spirit-stifled church, listen, is bound for death. When you do not have the Spirit of God within your church, you might as well consider your church dead. If the church is not being led by the Spirit, the only other way to be led is by the flesh. And many churches, listen, have rejected the leading of the Holy Spirit. They have closed the door to the Spirit's reign upon them. They reject the idea of the one who created the church to actually lead the church. See, my desire is to see all come upon this church. Maybe not like the same way it came upon the disciples in the book of Acts, but to see something similar, to see the Holy Spirit just flow through this place. To do what... (laughs) Okay, I'll keep going. Uh... So, the main focal point of any church needs to be and remain Jesus. He is the one who founded the church. He is the one who gave His life for the church. And putting anyone or anything else in the place of Christ is foolish. Uh, now as we go on, as, as we wrap up pretty quick, uh, it says in 45-47, through 47, they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the needs to all as any had need, and day by day attending the temple together. And breaking bread in their homes, they receive their food with glad and generous hearts. I do the same thing every time I eat. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. They were a serving church. Everyone was looking out for the interests of others. They were not just there to warm the seats. They were not just there to be comfortable. See, this was ultimately family. These 3,000 believers and the disciples and the rest who came were ultimately a large spiritual family. But it wasn't about looking out for the needs of of one person, but everybody. No one hoarded what they had. They gave freely. Why? Because they loved Jesus and they loved His people. Just a quick note on service. If you're serving just to gain recognition, you're serving for the wrong reason. See, serving Jesus is not about so you can see your name in lights and get all whatever you you think you're going to get. It's not about that. If you serve to make a name for yourself, you are serving for the wrong reason. Some of the greatest servants of the Lord are the ones who don't preach. Some of the greatest servants of the Lord are the ones who don't lead worship. Some of the greatest servants are those who do not need the spotlight or desire the spotlight. 
See, serving means you are willing to take the posture that others may not be willing to take. It's saying, I don't need to be up front. I don't need to be anybody's hero because ultimately I'm a zero proclaiming that the hero is Jesus. See, Jesus washed the disciples' feet, right? When all the disciples should have been doing the exact same thing Jesus did, Jesus washed the disciples' feet. And He said this in John 13, 14. It's not up on the screen, but He says, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Jesus took the form of a servant. And if our Lord and Savior did that, how much more should we? Matthew 20, verse 28, He even says, Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve... And give His life as a ransom for many. Now, the remaining verses have the word steadfastly written all over. In other words, everything that this early church was doing, they were doing it continually without reservation. There was no thought in their mind that they should stop doing what they're doing. They kept doing it. However, this word, steadfastly, is often forgotten amid the followers of Jesus. Now, the letter I'm about to read you was not a letter I received, but another pastor received. And sometimes, many believers reflect the attitude of this letter written to this particular pastor. Dear Pastor, you often stress the importance of attendance at worship, but I think a person has a right to miss now and then. I think every person ought to be excused for the following reasons and the numbers of times indicated. Christmas, one day. Death in the family, three days. Anniversary, one day. New Year's, one day. Easter, one day. Last day of school, one day. July 4th, one day. Labor Day, one day. First day of school, one day. Sleeping late, four days. Memorial Day, one day. Family reunions, two days. Anniversary, you already said anniversary, two days. Sickness, five days. Vacation, three days. Business trips, three days. Unexpected company, four days. You must have a lot of unexpected company. Bad weather, (laughs) six days. Time changes, this one will get some of you. Two days, because how many times we... Yeah. TV specials. I hope you don't fall into this category. Three days. Ball games. Five days. But, this writer says, you can count on us to be in church on the fourth Sunday of February and the third Sunday in August unless it's leap year or we're otherwise providentially hindered. If you add all those up, do you know how many days that amounts to? 51. Now, how many Sundays are in a year? Yeah. But listen, here's the point. Get to church. Get to the house. Fellowship. Open the apostles' teaching. Break bread. Have communion. Do the core, foundational, uh, fundamental elements of the church. Here's the thing that I believe COVID has done to us. And and I make no apology for this because I believe that that God is causing COVID to stir some people's thinking, 
to, to stir us up to really reconsider where we're at in our walks with the Lord and even the church. But COVID has allowed us to become so good at making excuses as to why we can't come to church. Or why we can't come to this prayer meeting. Or why we can't join this small group. If I'm being honest, though, many of us didn't need help, the help of COVID. We were already making those excuses. Apparently, it's proven through this person's letter. But do you know who struggles with this the most? Do you know what generation struggles with going, not going to church? Not the baby boomers. Not the generation before that. It's my generation. It's the millennials. 59% of millennials have left the church. You baby boomers have done a great job with bringing your kids to church. Do not, do not discredit yourself in that. Train up a child in the way that he shall go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Stick with that. But 59% of millennials have left the church. Look around at our church. Not right now. And the percentage of millennials compared to other generations, very small. Because after you baby boomers, we're left in charge. Yeah. Yeah. But listen, here's, here's, here's a call out to my generation. Stop looking for excuses to why you can't go to church. Stop looking for them. Focus on the plain truth of the gospel, not the fluffiness of entertainment. Amen? It is about the gospel. It is about Jesus. It is not about which church has the best fog machine. It is about Jesus. All of this can be stripped down, but if Jesus remains, that's enough. I want to close with this question. Why should we continue steadfastly in these fundamentals? In the Word, in communion, in fellowship, in prayer. The answer is this. We should remain steadfast because of the price that was paid for us. Luke 9.51, it says, Now it came to pass when the time had come for Him to be received up that Jesus steadfastly set His face to go toward Jerusalem, the place where He would be crucified for you and I. Jesus set His face steadfastly to die with you on His mind. But what if Jesus had done what we so often do? I think I'll go to church today. I think I'll go to the cross today. I hope to go to the cross today. I, I hope to go to church today. If Jesus would have had that same mindset, guess what? You and I would fry in hell. Because Jesus, if He had the thought, where would we be today? But Jesus was on mission. Jesus says, I have a job to do and nothing is going to stop me from doing that job. My face is set steadfastly to Jerusalem. And listen, because of His steadfastness, the results for you and I, salvation. Forgiveness of our sins. Because He made it His aim to go to the cross for you. And just like Cliff said, if you were the only one, He would have still done it. Steadfastly, without reservation. Here's the thing we aim to do as a church, to keep things simple. The gospel is simple, but it is so profound at the same time. 
But we want to keep things simple, to keep us steadfastly focused on the Word, communion, fellowship, and prayer. John Corson, I close with this. He says, we must continue steadfastly to keep a simple perspective. Because the tendency of ministry, just like government, is to get bigger and more complicated. And it ought never to be. May our churches be an oasis where we come together to continue steadfastly in the power and simplicity of the Word, communion, fellowship, and prayer. In its simplest form, why we do church is because Jesus died for us. So you and I could be forgiven of our sins. So we could have the assurance of heaven. So we could have our eternal address changed from hell to heaven. So we could have new life. The gospel is simple. Jesus loved you enough to die for you so you wouldn't have to. Let's all stand and close out in prayer and with a chorus. But listen, Make it your aim to get to the house every Sunday. And for those of you that are watching, we understand that if, if there's some uncomfortableness with, with, with the COVID thing, we get that. That's why we offer the live stream. But listen, we want you here. Uh, I can't tell you how refreshing it is to see faces come back into the house. It, it is amazing to see this. And there will be a time for you as you venture on back into church. But listen, uh, here's the thing. Church is a place where you have an extended family. We've got each other's back. But our call is also to make disciples, to go and preach the good news that saved you, to let people know that there is a God in heaven who loves them. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your church, the bride, how you gave yourself for the church so the church could be blameless and spotless and found righteous in God the Father's eye not because of anything that the church has done but because everything uh, that you have done Jesus none of us would be standing here today knowing that we have new life and assurance of heaven if it weren't for you Lord help us to keep things simple Help us to focus on the gospel. Help us to desire more and more of you. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you would just rule and reign in our hearts. And in this place, may you continually sit on the throne of Gray Avenue Christian Church. Jesus, we love you. And it's in your mighty name that we pray. Amen.